What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What's up and welcome in to Under the Hood with me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Open phone line for you as we're guest-free in our first hour, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our telephone number. Let me take you back to 1999. Remember 1999? 1999 is when Eminem's mom sued her own son for $10 million for slander on the album The Slim Shady. She was only rewarded about 1600 bucks. 1999 was on July 28th of that year. Tommy Chong was the very first in America to receive a medical marijuana card in the state of California. 1999 also is when PayPal was voted one of the 10 worst business ideas of that year. But also in 1999 was the beginning of a long rebuild for the Chicago Bulls. 1999 was the end of Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. The core of the Bulls was gutted because of the foresight from the sleuth Jerry Krause, the late general manager for the Chicago Bulls. He believed that after the sixth championship, actually before the Bulls won their sixth championship, it was time to pull the plug. Crazy, right? Do you remember, and even if you don't, if you're not old enough to remember, you saw the documentary, right? It just only gave you just a taste if you weren't around for that time. But for Gen Xers like me and Gen Xers like my friends and baby boomers and even older than that, remembering how this city rocked, how this city was just on edge every single game because you saw something special. And if you are a Chicago Bulls fan or a Michael Jordan fan, because there is a difference between the two, you were just waiting for the next game. You couldn't wait to see the next highlight. You could not wait to watch SportsCenter to find out what happened in the game. Or if you watched it from beginning to the end, you just love the drama to see the greatest to ever do it. Do it on a regular basis. Six titles in eight years, but yet it was time to pull the plug. So let me, let's stay in 1999. Let's talk about 1999 because the third lockout in the history of the NBA lasted from July 1st, 1998 to January 20th, 1999. NBA owners were seeking changes to the league's salary cap system and a ceiling on individual player salaries. The National Basketball Players Association, they opposed the owners' plans and wanted raises for players who earned the league's minimum salary. That happened in that year. Also in that year, in January of 1999, if people were in disbelief, like, nah, this is going to work out during this lockout, think about it. Think about how we're not having any sports to watch now, okay? But when the NBA starts, it's October, it's November, it's December, and there's no NBA. And so 
January of that year, 1999, Michael Jordan announced officially his retirement for the second time while the lockout was still going on. And then he would later return, as we know, to play two more seasons with the Wizards in 2001 through 2003. The Knicks in that year became only the second eighth seed to advance in the playoffs by defeating a number one seed. That same eight seed, that same Knicks team, they went to the finals that year. Also on that year, 1999, it was the first time in 15 seasons that the Bulls missed the playoffs. 15 straight years. Some of you have not even lived long enough to see what that looks like in this city. <laughs> you've seen this with the Spurs and you've seen this maybe so some other. You haven't seen this in this city. 15 seasons in a row of going to the playoffs. 1999, they missed the playoffs. The Bulls would become the second defending champion in NBA history that failed to make the playoffs, joining the 1969-70 Boston Celtics. As we talk about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So finally, when the players and the owners were able to come together on an agreement for 1999, it's like, okay, now we get some basketball, okay. But if you're a Bulls fan at that time, knowing that Jordan put in for his retirement, that Scottie Pippen wasn't coming back, that there were some really key pieces that were not coming back to the Bulls, you didn't know what to expect with this team. You know, Tony Kukoc was there and Randy Brown, and there were some pieces to the puzzle to help the Bulls win a championship. But those pieces had to take a big step up in class, a huge step up in class. And so when the season started, the Heat were good. Pacers were already pissed off because they lost to the Bulls, as you saw in that seven-game series. So the Pacers were there. The Magic were there. Atlanta, Detroit, Philly, Milwaukee, and all the Knicks at 27 and 23 were able to cling on to that eighth seed. And where were the Bulls? The Bulls were dead-ass last in the Eastern Conference. From a world championship team to 13-37 and 37 in the short locked-out season. Last in the East. From the best to the worst in the East. The other side of it was the Western Conference in which the San Antonio Spurs, the Spurs, were the best team in the Western Conference. And so the finals in that shortened year, uncharacteristically an eighth seed in the Knicks, made the playoffs and they were able to get to the finals and they took on the San Antonio Spurs. The thing that you think about always, right? You always think about what if. What if the Bulls were able to come together? What if they were able to get enough of the core to be able to piecemeal it together to take on the San Antonio Spurs? I am steadfast in the belief that it is no guarantee that the Bulls were able to win their seventh championship. You know, Michael, Michael Jordan is just... I mean, you saw him sitting there staring right into the camera saying he wanted a shot for the seventh championship. And it's just like, you know, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But the players deserved to find out. The core players deserved to find out in a shortened season whether or not they would be able to do it. That Spurs team, to refresh your memory, is Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan, who was a terrific player, averaging 20 points a game in that shortened season. Avery Johnson and David Robinson and Sean Elliott and Mario Elie. 
Jaron Jackson and Steve Kerr was on that team. Will Perdue was on that team. Uh, a, a veteran Jerome Kersey was on that team. Antonio Daniels, who was a friend of this program, also was on uh, that team. Malik Rose on that team. So they had a lot of weapons, veteran guys and also young players. That was a 22-year-old Duncan that won his first championship in 99 with the San Antonio Spurs. Duncan was 22. Robinson was 33. Sean Elliott was 30. Mario L.A. was 35. And, of course, it would have been interesting to see Steve Kerr, who was traded to San Antonio, along with Will Perdue, already have, they already have jewelry, right? They already have their championships, and now they're playing for the Spurs, getting more championships. But the thing is, is that we'll never know what that was like. Because of the last dance, because of everything that went on that last year to determine whether or not the Bulls were going to be able to come back with Jordan, with Pippen, and Phil Jackson. Let's take you back to the last dance on Sunday. And so let's hear from Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf gave his opinion late in the last uh, section of that documentary. Reinsdorf on why the team had to be broken up. Now, after the sixth championship, things were beyond our control. Because it would, have, it would have been suicidal at that point in their careers to bring back uh, Pippen, Steve Kerr, Rodman, Ron Harper. Their market value individually was going to be too high. They, they weren't going to be worth the money they were going to get in the market. So when we realized that we were going to have to go into a rebuild, I went to Phil and said, they'll offer me the opportunity to come back the next year. But he, but he said, I don't want to go through a rebuild. I don't want to coach a bad team. You know, that was the end. It just came to an end on its own. You know, had, had Michael been healthy and wanted to come back, it, I, I don't doubt that Krauss could have rebuilt another championship team in a couple of years. But, you know, it, it wasn't going to happen instantly. So that's there from Jerry Reinsdorf. A lot of this in this revisionist history in this documentary is on Phil Jackson. Oh, Phil didn't want to come back, so nah. I mean, it just would be suicide. You know, put the team back together. Phil didn't want to come back. And Mike, you said you didn't want to play for anyone else. There's so many what ifs that surround the Bulls in that shortened season, that locked out season. Imagine a fresh Michael Jordan in a shortened season and Scottie Pippen if they were able to get Pippen to return with the core of Jordan Pippen, Harper, Rodman if you can get him to focus along with Tony Kukoc and then you're just going to finish out the rest it's Randy Brown, Bill Wellington it's Keith Booth, it's Rusty LaRue Dickie Simpkins, I mean there's a lot of guys a couple of guys that had some minimum salaries on here, but we do know about what happened to the Bulls. Pippen on the sign and trade to the Rockets. Luke Longley signed a five-year, $30 million contract with the Suns. Steve Kerr, as I mentioned, went to the Spurs. Five years, $11 million. Judd Bushler signed a two-year deal with the Detroit Pistons. Robin signed a one-year deal with the Lakers. Scott Burrell signed a, a one-year deal with the New Jersey Nets. So here's the thing. If Jordan is, is on board, if Jordan can get Pippen on board, Jordan feels that he could have got Phil on board. Listen to what Jordan said about this. In 98, Krause already said at the beginning of the season, Phil can go 82-0, and he was never going to be the coach. So when, when Phil said it was the last dance, it was the last dance. We knew they weren't going to keep the team. Now, they could have nixed all of it at the beginning of 98. Why say that statement at the beginning of 98? If you ask all the guys who won in 98, 
Steve Kerr, Jeff Bushler, blah, blah, blah. We give you one year contract to try for seven. Do you think they would have signed? Yes, they would have signed. Would I sign for one year? Yes, I would have signed for one year. I've been signing one year contracts up to that. Would Phil done it? Yes. Now, Pip, you would have to do some convincing, but if Phil was going to be there, if Dennis was going to be there, if MJ was going to be there to win our seventh, Pip is not going to miss on out on that. Yeah, 91, 92, I was, I was young, full of energy, hungry. In 98, when you went in six out of eight, and yet being just as dominant as you were in 91, that's where the, you know, the craftsmanship came in. And I think 98 was much better than any other years because of how I was able to use my mind as well as my body. So is it then satisfying to leave at your peak? No. Or is it maddening to leave at your peak? It's maddening, you know, because I felt like we could have won seven. Uh, I really believe that. We may not have, but man, just not to be able to try, that's, that's, that's something that, you know, I just can't accept for whatever reason. I just can't accept it. Among some of the questions about the Chicago Bulls is when Jordan left the first time and the Houston Rockets won back-to-back championships, what would that have been like? The, if Jordan and the Bulls took on Hakeem Olajuwon, Kenny Smith, and those good Houston Rocket teams. And the other question is, what if when it comes to a seventh championship? Here's all I know, and I know that there's a lot of uh, – conjecture and a lot of opinions out there that's boomeranging across your radio dial and on your in your digital space about the bulls and trying to pick this thing apart let me just make sure it's very clear and for real bulls fans that live this and and love this team i'll be the only voice that will tell you this and that is is that the most important thing out of the documentary that we saw from the last dance is not what Michael Jordan was listening to on the back of the bus, whether it was Kenny Lattimore or someone else. It's not about what, you know, whether or not Jordan is uh, bitter or if he's uh, a psychopath or a sociopath or Scottie Pippen or Scott Burrell and his demeanor. You know, we got to be able to move away the clutter and look at what the goal is. If you're a Bulls fan, you know that the goal was to try to win a championship every year. And we were blessed to be able to see six championships out of eight years. I know that you got to get the ha-ha and you got to be able to get the fluff and get all the conjecture and the hot takes and the debates on all this. There is nothing to do debate when it comes to who the Bulls were in that era. And no matter what we saw behind the scenes, you know what it was? It was happiness for so many Bulls fans, not just in the city. Not just city pride, but across the country and around the world because there are Bulls fans all over the world because of what Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, and up and down the line did. The whole organization. It put the Bulls on the map as a global brand. Jordan was already a global brand. But it put the Bulls in that same light as a global brand because of the winning. Nothing's more important than the winning and how many times you win. Something else, too. You are losing the backbone of the team. But you still would have the core if you went for it for a seventh time. If the Bulls lose to the Spurs, so be it. 
But the Bulls bet against Jordan. They bet against him. After all he gave to the organization, after all some of the core players gave to the organization, they bet against Jordan and bet for Tony Kukoc and for Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf. They bet on themselves versus the greatest winner that we've ever seen in this city in Michael Jordan. I want you to just think about that for a second. I want you to think about how the organization bet on themselves to say, you know what, Phil, you can go 82-0, doesn't matter, you're out of here. Pippen, you can go. Michael, if you want to retire, you can retire. But the Bulls organization bet against Jordan after all he gave. Doesn't matter if you like him or not, based on what you saw in the documentary. Look at the wins. That's all that really matters, right? As, as we're in this era of, of clout chasing and how many rings did you win? Well, he's got six of them. Okay? Since we love to talk about this with LeBron and Kobe and all that. So Jordan's got six of them. Since we like to count rings, because I guess it's simple for people to count rings. There are six of them right there. But for context, the Celtics didn't give up on Bird. The Lakers didn't give up on Magic or Kareem. The Lakers didn't give up on Kobe. The Pistons didn't give up on Isaiah. The Pacers didn't give up on Reggie. But this organization gave up on Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson and the core of this team because the money was already spent for tickets. It was already taken care of financially for years and years and years. The United States was going to be sold whether Jordan was there or not. And that's the shame of it all, is that all these other organizations, these winning organizations, they didn't give up on their stars. But this organization, they did. Coming up next, grown men fighting in their 50s. Former Bulls are going to fight. Are we going to see this? we we'll talk about it next on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. DJ Armstrong, former Chicago Bull and NBA champion, will be on the program at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. I'm under the hood. Thanks so much for being with me here on this Tuesday night as we review um, just remnants of the last dance that we didn't get to yesterday. And so <laughs> you know that this is going to be a lot of he said, he said since this documentary is over, right? And we've already gotten a little glimpse of it. We have not heard Scottie Pippen on the record talk about this, but we continue to hear rumblings that he's not happy about his portrayal in the documentary, even though this is the same Scottie Pippen who and you can look at him as a great player, top 50 player. There's no doubt about that. But there was a lot of missteps in Scotty's career, and I know that they were highlighted there. If Pippen had a documentary, uh, a lot of things that he did that were um, – were not great would be in that documentary. There's a lot of things that you can look at with Scotty and say, man, he needs to grow up or he needs to be more of a leader, all these things. But you cannot deny the type of player that he was. He was a solid player and definitely the Robin to Jordan's Batman in that one-two punch for those championship years. So here's what's funny. In 2020, you will have people saying that, oh, Back in the day, you wouldn't have this this pettiness, this back and forth that you see now. 
dudes are writing Instagram things to one another, shade like LeBron James and Kevin Durant, and they're using Jill Scott quotes to be able to express themselves in something else that they're going through, or they'll tweet out their frustration. They don't know how to talk. How come grown men don't know how to talk anymore? So much pettiness now. And now we fast forward to what we're dealing with right now. And we've got those that were in the grown men era of the NBA in the eighties and the nineties. And they're doing the same things that we are accusing millennials are doing right now. Yeah, they're not doing. They're not, they don't have Maya Angelou quotes. I don't see Horace Grant with the Maya Angelou quote trying to express himself against Michael Jordan. But the same pettiness that we have talked about in the modern day is happening with athletes that we used to admire. That's why I think this is funny from Horace Grant today, who was on Cap and Company. This is blown up because. You just knew that Horace Grant, who has done some work for NBC Sports Chicago and is a Bulls ambassador, so still linked to the organization. So let's go back in time from the documentary of early in the documentary where there was question marks about Horace Grant because Horace Grant um, was part of those first three championships. He goes to the Orlando Magic and there was question marks about the book, uh, The Jordan Rules, written by Sam Smith. And Michael Jordan, I think Will Perdue in some ways too, kind of believes that Horace Grant leaked a lot of inside information to Sam Smith in that book. Some thoughts now from Michael and Horace Grant and others. Jerry invited me to come to his room and he had earmarked about uh, 25 different quotations in the book. And he wanted me to sit and listen to him while he read them. And that started with, like, you know, who do you think could do this? Were you part of this? While the early reports have brought a flurry of denials, players giving out sensitive information to the press is one surefire way to cause a division within the team. I didn't contribute to that, and that was Horace. He was telling everything that was happening within the group. You know, as we started winning championships, and everybody talked about Michael, and then everybody talked about everybody else, I mean, that really pissed off Horace. He felt slighted. He was in Michael's shadow. No, not one thing have I ever divulged to Sam Smith. Okay, so Grant says that he did not divulge his um, thoughts about the Bulls internally to Sam Smith. You know, the only two people that know in the flesh would be Sam Smith and Horace Grant. So, Horace Grant was on Capit Company earlier here on ESPN 1000, and let's hear from Horace Grant if you missed it earlier. So, one of the questions that was posed to Horace is, um, so, were you the source for the Jordan Rules book? That is a, a downright, outright, completely lie. Lie, lie, lie. And as I stated, if MJ had a grudge with me, Let's settle it like, man, let's talk about it, or we can settle, settle it another way. But yet and still, he goes out and put this lie out that I was the source behind. Sam and I have always been great friends. We're still great friends. But the sanctity of that locker room, I would never put anything personal out there. The, the mere fact that Sam Smith uh, was a 
investigative reporter that he had to have two sources two to uh to to write a book i guess why would mj just point me out okay right that's i mean that, it, it, it's only a grudge man i'm telling you it was only a grudge and i think he proved that during this so-called documentary when if you don't say something if you say something about him he's going to cut you off he's uh um he's going to try to destroy your character i mean you know Charles barkley they've been friends for over 20 30 years and he said something about uh michael's um uh management uh with the charlotte bobcats or the charlotte hornets um and then they haven't spoken since then and my my fact is, my my point is that he called he said i was a snitch but yet still after 30 or 35 years he brings up um his rookie year going into uh one of his teammates room his former teammates room and saying coke and weed and women my point is, why why in the hell did he want to bring that up? What what's that got to do with anything? I mean, if if you want to call somebody a snitch, that's a damn snitch right there. Hmm. Well, Horace at the end there is right. <laughs> it's a great story of the uh, traveling cocaine circus, and it was something I was aware of before the documentary of those early days of the Bulls. Interesting uh, thoughts from Horace Grant. So he was also asked, uh, what did he think of the Last Dance documentary overall? I would say, you know, um, entertaining, but, you know, we know who who was there um, as teammates that uh, about 90% of it was uh, – I don't know if I can say it on air, but BS. Right. Um, uh, in terms of um, the 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 realness of it, um, um, you know, as I stated uh, the other day, <clears throat> um, that it was it wasn't real uh, because uh, a lot of things that he said to uh, some of his teammates that um, his teammates went back at him, but all of that was kind of edited out of uh, the documentary, if you want to call it a documentary. So interesting thoughts from Horace Grant. So now I can't wait to hear what Pippen has to say. And and here's the thing, and I'm not going to go back on this. I will still say this, that the documentary was geared toward Jordan and the way he saw things. And, uh, and the inside stuff, some of it I'm aware of, some of it I am not. Either way, you just kind of know that there is a bent to the documentary because it's how Jordan saw things. And so, to me, I can separate the basketball player from the storyteller. It's based on what Jordan said. Now, here's the thing. Maybe he could be lying about the whole thing, Jordan. Maybe he could be. You know, a lot of the small, petty stuff, I couldn't care less about because my focus is on the basketball and the legacy, and I will not allow this back and forth to deter my enjoyment of the bulls from the 1990s, <laughs> you know, because I'm grown with a mortgage and I couldn't care less about these millionaires fighting over one another. What was right? What was wrong? It's interesting. I guess it's, it's compelling for us to be able to play it here to present it to you. Um, but who knows who's right or who's wrong. 
I, I know that's not sports radio in 2020, but for I guess I'm supposed to say Jordan's a liar. Listen to what Horace has to say, or Horace has got it wrong. He was the he he was the the trick. He tricked off to Sam Smith. Like I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's it's interesting to listen to both sides on this. Um, one other thing from Horace Grant. So the the Scottie Pippen uh, piece of it is uh, was compelling to me. We've talked about that a lot here over the weeks about Scottie Pippen and how he's been portrayed on this documentary. As I mentioned before, definitely a, a top fifty player grew into the position as uh, a co leader with Michael Jordan, definitely a co-star with Michael Jordan. So I, I think that's clear. We know all that. Um, but was he treated fairly in the documentary, Horace? I have never seen, uh, quote-unquote, a number two guy as as, as decorated as, as Scottie Pippen uh, portrayed so badly in terms of the migraine, um, in terms of uh, the 1.6 or 7 second um, uh, selfish I, I have never seen this uh, in all of my life. In the respect of Pitt was out there, I think, in game six, could barely walk, um, getting knocked down on his back, trying trying to do whatever he he could to help that team. Um, and my, my, my point is, why was that 1.6 or 7 seconds in the documentary, so-called documentary, uh, about Pitt? I mean, MJ wasn't even on the team. Right. Why was that in there? I mean, that we handled that that year really well as a team. Yeah. Well, I, I would. My response to Horace would be that it, because it's Michael Jordan telling the story, he's talking about what the team was like without him as he went to go play baseball and then his return. Because again, this is in the view of in the viewpoint of Michael Jordan. So, uh, you know, not surprised, not surprised, because at least I knew up front before the documentary aired what this was about. It was about Jordan's view and his memories, um, the way he saw it during his basketball career and his him, his upbringing, you know, coming up uh, in North Carolina. So I want to get your reaction to what we've heard here. If you're hearing this Horace Grant sound for the first time, um, we put it in context for you. My My thought is, is that. It's just funny to see these grown men, you know, bickering back and forth, and Horace is uh, just knocking the you know what out of of Jordan, saying it's a so-called documentary, saying that he was not the source of the Jordan rules. That, that the Jordan rules is a book. That wasn't chapter and verse of everything that happened with the Chicago Bulls. It just again, that's from Sam Smith's standpoint. So that's not even the big issue. The issue is, is that yeah, I'm asking you is, what do you think of what Horace Grant had to say? Which where which way do you swing as far as the belief of what Michael said in the documentary or what Horace is saying? Um, because Horace has really landed on Michael Jordan. Uh, interesting. So let me get your thoughts. Three one two three three two ESPN. Sean, let's open the phone lines. I see you, Calvin, in South Shore. We'll get your phone call here and take more of your calls. Three one two three three two ESPN. Three three two three seven seven six is our phone number. I'll get your phone calls in here, and also uh, Jerry Reinsdorf has weighed in with some comments uh, about the, the documentary. So uh, we've got a lot to cover here as we move forward right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Under the Hood. 
Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. NBA champion B.J. Armstrong joins the program at 8 o'clock. Also, in an hour from now, we will do our Tales from the Hood segment, Tales from the Hood stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. As we do every Tuesday night for Tales, we redraft a, a certain draft. We're going with the Stacy King draft of 1989. And Davis and I like to go back and forth and redraft. It'll be interesting. We'll have uh, Andre Stellings from ESPN on in an hour from now. So if you have the 1989 draft handy on basketball reference or whatever, uh, who would you have taken in the top ten? Who would the Bulls take if you had to redraft? It's always a fun exercise, and we'll do that coming up in an hour from now. Two hours from now, we give you Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you're a wrestling fan, tell them to come to listen to Vice. Uh, in two hours from now, we will be talking about some of the storylines around the WWE, AEW, and other uh, places around the country, and some news um, that was really troubling today regarding wrestling. We'll get to that coming up with Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, every Tuesday around 9.30, right here on ESPN 1000. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. So we heard from Horace Grant, who was on Cap and Company, and Horace Grant just laid it all out there for everyone to hear that he doesn't think the documentary is any good. It's a so-called documentary. He's not happy in how he was portrayed, not happy how Scottie Pippen was portrayed. Scottie's already said he doesn't like uh, how he came across in the documentary. So what do you think? Uh, my, my thought is, is that uh, it, it's from Jordan's standpoint and doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but it sure was entertaining. It's great to look back. And to me, uh, my focus is on the championships and how they got there and whether or not this is going to help or hurt the Bulls organization based on all the things that we saw. I, I still think about that. Like, does a free agent look at that and say, yeah, that looks toxic because Jerry Reinsdorf is still there? Or does a free agent look at the Bulls situation and they turn the page like, okay, that was an interesting time, but I could see myself coming to Chicago because ultimately, no matter what we saw in the documentary, it's about the future for the team, for the Bulls. The past was the past, and it was a great era. There was a lot of drama, as you and I both know. However, my focus is also is on the future of the Chicago Bulls team. So let me get your calls in here, 312-332-ESPN. Hear what i got to say, now let me hear what you have to say. Let me go to Calvin from South Shore, who leads us off here on ESPN 1000 with Jonathan Hood. Hey, Cal. Hey, what's going on, Jay Hood? I'm glad to be in your hood as always, man. Um, I just want to break down a uh, narrative perspective about what you've been hitting on, man. It's been a thousand percent correct. Um, I just want to start off by the first strategy of what you just um, pr- pr- percent pronounced is, is this. Horace, Michael, you know, you see it from that perspective, like, man, you know what? It was the grit, the grind, you know, coming up from the bottom to the top. So, I mean, like any construction site, is always going to be rocky edges to the whole creation being built. So, I get it. You know, like I said, from a man perspective, you know, I'm old school like you, so I would say y'all just knit that in the bud if y'all see like y'all overcame worse. You know, y'all overcame Pistons, Hate, and Nick. So that's not an issue. But to your point is, is I look at it to why we're still haunting. It's a thing called karma. Jay Hood, you cannot, unde- you cannot, that's undefeated for a reason. Because when you don't give Mike the reins to, like you said, play it out, and he overserved, and you didn't pay Pippen, and to a degree you didn't pay Grant, because Grant was a needed necessity, you know. But you've got to be able to, you know, 
you got to be able to magnify your guys and ride them out to the end. The greatest guys to ever do things, you have to cherish them like true gold, and we didn't do it. So that's always going to resonate bad with me, you know. And I think it's just not, it's just not a winning mentality, J-Hood. But, hey, you know the truth, man. I'm going to get out your hood, but, man, always respect to you. Calvin, I appreciate your phone call. And now, see, Calvin leaves line open, 312-332-ESPN is our phone number. So what do you think? Last Dance documentary heard from Horace Grant. What do you believe? Uh, Arlen is in uh, Kenosha with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Hey, R. Hey, Hoodie. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, so um, I feel like not on a side or anything, but I think there's some val- validity to what Grant was talking about. Um, I hear you saying that you knew it was uh, a Pippin, I mean, a Jordan tail going in, but the, 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 the regular fan, we all didn't know that. We thought it was the last dance. However, very quickly, you saw that this was going to be a Jordan production. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me go to the, the Pippen point he was made. Pippen, to me, he didn't just play sidekick in this. He, he played a uh, fall guy for a lot of stuff in, this, uh, in, the, in the documentary. Anytime Mike said, oh, I did wrong, he's like, me and Pip. <laughs> you know, he made sure to say, <laughs> me and Pip wanted to do this. And then when the, the glory moments, it was just himself. So I feel like Pip, he didn't just get sacrificed in this documentary. I think this is an extension of him getting sacrificed for those last three, four years, um, for those last three championships. MJ had a Hall of Fame player getting paid like a journeyman, less than journeyman, you know, on his side. That, that enabled them to, to pay everybody else, to get everybody else to get uh, such good role players. So I feel like uh, Pip's representation on the show is just an extension of what happened in his career. And like your last caller, caller said, that don't sit right with, you know, with, with folks, you know what I mean? It's like real people say, oh, that wasn't cool. So what about what Horace said? What do you think about uh, Horace said there was a so-called documentary and he, he's, ready to, to, uh, he's ready to go to blows with Mike. You heard this, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I heard. I've, I've been listening to it. I, I think that's just, uh, you know, Horace might be that real of a dude, military dude, I'm an ex-military dude. Um, he might, that's just saying, hey, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, Let's not do it through the media. If you had a problem with me, I should have known by now and not on, on TV. You know, um, my last point I want to make is I see all the you, – you, you like the future, and me too. I'm ready for new bulls, mm-hmm. but I don't know if we're there yet. I think it's going to take and, – um, and I'm not wishing anything demise on anybody, but if we saw what happened to the Blackhawks um, uh, when the, the old man uh, Worsh passed away, and that was when really the sun took over and made things happen almost immediately you know, cable deals, everything else. And I feel like the same thing is going to happen when the chairman finally leaves, you know, that people are going to be okay with doing it the way they want to do it, even with this new blood that they have in the house. Arlen, I'm glad you checked in. I appreciate your telephone call. I see what you're saying because it is true. Arlen is right. When when Bill Wirtz passed away, Rocky Wirtz took over and really changed the the look of the Chicago Blackhawks. It was smart to bring a, a marketing genius in like McDonough. It was smart to bring in the both Bowmans, the old man and the son. It was important to be able to go and really cultivate the draft. And then you have Taves and Kane, and you have uh, Corey Crawford, and you have Duncan Keith, and you start you know buffling. You know a, a lot of this is is Mike Smith. And, uh, and, you know, not talent, but a lot of this is Mike Smith. And then you move forward to the Bowmans and what the organization was doing. And you saw three Stanley Cups. So, you know, even though this is Michael Reinsdorf's team, and even though Jerry Reinsdorf has been on the record saying that 
if he could trade some of those uh, Bulls championships for White Sox championships, he'd be a happy man because he's more of a Sox guy than a Bulls guy. I mean, that's pretty much out there for, for public consumption. You know, I'd love for Michael to have full autonomy to be able to do something like uh, to be able to control the organization. I said at the All-Star break, if you guys have been listening to me for a while, I said the All-Star break, if so with, with the All-Star break, in the all-star game and festivities happening in Chicago, I'd be embarrassed if I was Michael Reinsdorf. And, and I wouldn't be embarrassed because all the, you know, the, all the um, basketball minds, owners, GMs came to town. And if I'm Michael Reinsdorf, I look silly. Like my team and my organization is floundering while others are getting better. Smaller markets are getting better. And I think that Michael Reinsdorf looked at the All-Star Weekend and was like, you know what, I need to change some things. And even John Paxson apparently on the record saying, yeah, maybe you should change some things because you look look old school. You look mom and pop. And now here comes Karnaschovas from a great organization with Denver, a solid organization that understands scouting and European scouting. And then here's Mark Eversley with an opportunity here as a general manager. Um, so that's that's a positive. Change is good because it's been stagnant for years after the championship years. Three one two three three two ESPN is our phone number. Arlen, I appreciate your phone call. Uh, Eric is in Hammond, Indiana, on ESPN one thousand on Under the Hood. Hey E. Hey, how you doing, Jonathan? Um, I, I'm gonna say this: Look, I'm 43, so mm-hmm. get an idea where I was when all this was going on. Um, as far as Jordan, you know, I didn't hear anything new. Everything through the years that I've heard about Jordan, off the court, on the court, about how he is, you know, you never know what what people tell you, but it it never changed. It's all added up to pretty much what you saw in this documentary. I mean, it, it had been waver from it. Um, and I just don't believe, I mean, one thing about, you know, if I was with Horace Grant, the reason I tend to believe Horace Grant is when you look at the totality of it. You know, you got to think about Michael, how Michael Jordan is. I mean, he didn't turn that switch off when he wasn't around his team, when he when he left that court, is what I'm to be nice about it, you know. So putting that out there about Grant, I mean, I don't believe Jordan said he has no actual proof or anything that Horace Grant is the one that did this uh, thing with this book, but he puts it out there like he do, and and in his fact, and you know, you really can't blame Horace for for for, for being mad. But, I, but right. Eric, all all Jordan has is his word, and Horace has his word. Horace said he didn't, and Michael said he did. That's all we have to go on. And see, but, but, but Jordan's putting that out there like fact, and Jordan know how powerful his word is. Let's be real, you know. And you know, I mean, I understand now. Far as I, I give Reinsdorf a lot of blame, takes a lot of blame for this too, because I don't think Reinsdorf, his heart was is is not in basketball. No. I think with him, it was more about the money. And at a certain point when the Bulls became who they are, when Jordan made that team what it is, I think he figured that, that they could basically ride the legacy of this you know, team, still fill the seats, and rebuild, and maybe, get more, maybe they get more championships, maybe they don't, but they won't have to put out the money, and, and they'll still fill the seats, so he'll still be making the money. His heart is not really in basketball, you know, especially now that the Bulls are what they are. It's more, to me, about just Moses and Cease is selling. 
Yeah, they well, gonna ride Jordan's legacy. You know, as long as them sheets are selling, that's where his heart is. You know, if they win championships, hey, they go, they go. You know, they'll push, they'll try, they try, but you know, if they don't, all of them sheets are selling. You know, well, it's it's what I thought as well, Eric, and I appreciate your phone call. I I said at the time that the the Bulls put the amount of ticket sales and sold out houses at the United Center and the suites being sold and the merchandise being sold after the Jordan years in 99, 2000 and moving forward. Look, there was all the bulls are always top four, top five in attendance, even after the Jordan years. That's because of the Jordan years, which is crazy. Right. And, but they put that ahead of trying to win another championship. The value of the of the dollar, the value of the season ticket and the people walking up trying to get tickets or people that was on the ticket waiting list was more valuable than trying to win another championship and try to cement the legacy even further. 6,008 years. Just understand the point that other organizations, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Rockets, the Detroit Pistons, the San Antonio Spurs to an extent, they let it ride until the wheels fell off. And to me, you knew at some point the Bulls were going to stop winning championships, but it wasn't up to Jerry Krause. It was up to the players. It was up to injuries, attrition, whatever it was. It, it, it's very rare that you'll see a team that will just be like, you know what, there's just too much winning, <laughs> too many egos. And ultimately, when we see the Cubs in this situation with Joe Madden, when we see the Blackhawks with their three championships and three Stanley Cup championships and the Bulls, it all comes down to one word, ego. comes down to ego. The whole thing is about ego. Who gets credit? Who gets the most credit? Who doesn't get the credit? And ultimately, when you win, it doesn't matter because all that's involved gets credit. Jerry Krause got booed everywhere he went because Jerry Krause came across as the bad guy. Someone's got to be the heel in the story. He was the heel. And Jordan was always going to be the baby face with the, the white hat. And the reason why is because look at how he played. Look how Pippen played. Look how that team came together. So the idea that Jerry Krause felt that he wasn't getting the full credit, wasn't getting respect, and did that whole quote of saying that you know, organizations win championships. Well, I mean, everybody wins. But when you feel small and you have a Napoleonic complex and believe like, well, where's my credit? Where's my credit? Well, everybody gets credit. Everybody does when you win. Everybody gives you a pat on the back. But he didn't feel like he was getting pats on the back. And, it, and by the way, there was never going to be a situation in my life where Jerry Krause was going to be roundly cheered as a general manager for what he did with the Chicago Bulls because of the backbiting, because it wasn't just like rumored innuendo. That stuff was in the paper almost every day. A Fred Mitchell column here, you know, a Kent McDill column there. And all these guys that would write about the Chicago Bulls. And then you see Kraus having press conferences, talking about the future of the Bulls and Tony Kukoc and, and, and Tim Floyd, all that stuff was out there. That's what, this was, that's what makes it so crazy. It wasn't like after the championship run was over. This is during the championship run they're looking to replace Phil. After the championship run, they're trying to figure out how Tony Kukoc should be the face of the team. <laughs> it's, while this is going on, while the success is happening, they're already were greasing the skids for Tony, greasing the skids for Floyd and Hersey Hawkins <laughs> and Brent Barry <laughs> and, and Cornell David. And Rusty LaRue. <laughs> Crazy. 
Stephen Elmhurst on ESPN 1000. Hey, Steve. Yeah, good evening. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that occurred to me while I was watching the, the whole documentary was uh, Reinsdorf really does come off looking bad at, at the end, especially because I think if you're a free agent and you're looking at him saying that, well, you know, we really couldn't keep all these players. It'd be suicide because of their market value was going to be so high. They weren't going to be worth what the market would bear, you know, in terms of salary. And uh, so there's no way we could do it. Well, of course you could do it. There was no salary cap. You could do it. And what he's saying is we like the idea that for years we got to play pay Michael Jordan way less than he deserved. And we loved paying Pippen way less than he deserved. And, uh, and now the idea of actually paying these guys what they were worth on the open market, oh, no, we can't do that. We don't want to do that. Instead, we're just going to let this thing go, you know, to pieces and we're going to have all these season tickets already sold, and we're just going to rake in the profits for our investors, and that's where our priorities lay. I'm glad you checked in, Stevie. I appreciate your phone call. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf told Casey Johnson on NBC Sports Chicago, I asked Coach Phil Jackson to come back. Phil said no. Michael said I won't play for anyone else other than Phil. Um, I met with Michael on the 3rd of July in 1999, and I said to him, we're in a lockout. Who knows we're going to play? Why do you want to wait until the lockout is over and maybe I can start talking to Phil and try to talk him into coming back? And he agreed. When the lockout was over, I still couldn't talk Phil into coming back. And the big thing is Michael had cut his finger with a cigar cutter and he couldn't have, couldn't have played. So what's all this talk about bringing everyone back when Michael couldn't have come back? <laughs> so Michael's going to be out all year the rest of that season because of a cut on his finger because of a cigar cutter. Okay. Coming up, we will hear from NBA champion BJ Armstrong, part of the Bulls team. He's uh, in that documentary as a Charlotte Hornet as well. We will get his thoughts on the last dance that's coming up next right here on UTH. <laughs> This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.